I'd invite you all to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We are returning to the book of Hebrews after a couple of weeks of doing something different, but we're back in Hebrews. Appreciate the reading of the word this morning. First Sunday of 2024. I'm so glad that you are with us. We have uh, some folks that are visiting. We have some family in town, and we are glad uh, that you are here with us. I haven't told you yet this year, but I want to say to you this morning how much I love you. I love this church. I love the Northside Church of Christ. Warts and all, I love you. And, and, I, and I hope and I trust that you love me and love my family. I know that you do, and I know that you're praying for me, and I appreciate that. Um, I just thought about Steve when he was up sharing. Um, Steve and Lisa were really our first um, big introduction to this church, and they represented this church well, opening their home to us uh, a little over a year and a half ago, I guess, when uh, I moved here and was here for a few weeks, and then Paula and Haley uh, joined me, and um, they stuck us in the basement, but, you know, that was okay. It's a pretty, pretty nice basement. Um, but when you, when you get to know people, when you share meals around the table, and when you uh, talk and sit on the couch sometimes for hours, you get to know people. And um, when he stood up this morning to share... Uh, knowing his heart and knowing his love for God, it really, it really means a lot to me when I, when I hear him uh, speak about the table and, and about the sacrifice. And so, thank you, brother. I, I want you guys to know I love you especially. Um, anyway, enough of that. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. If you remember when we first started uh, the book of Hebrews, it's the book of better things. It's the book of superior things. The writer uses those words often as he relates uh, things in the book. Jesus is the better person. Jesus is the better priest. Chapter 11 is all about living by faith. And we know these stories by heart. Uh, we, we learn these stories in Bible class when we're little, but often we fail to take them to heart. That was true, I think, of the original readers of the letter. They knew these stories. They knew these stories by heart, but they need to take these stories to heart. They are, they're going through some things. They're, they're being tempted to not follow Jesus anymore. Some crisis in their life, maybe their family, maybe their community, maybe they've been ostracized. I'm not exactly sure what all was happening. But the writer is trying to encourage them in chapter 11 to stay the course, to be encouraged, to be strengthened. Look at all these people who lived by faith. And even though they didn't receive the promise, the promises that God made, they never actually saw them in their lifetime. So oftentimes when, when we see things, when we hear a promise, we think we want it now. We want it, we want it right now. But 
the Hebrew writer makes it very plain that they saw these things only from a distance. Many of these promises they never realized during their own lives, but they still were living by faith when they died. And so he's encouraging them, you live by faith. Don't give up this journey of faith. Through Abel, we learned what it looks like to worship by faith. It had nothing to do with his sacrifice being an animal and his brothers being grain or fruit or vegetation. It was about he brought an offering by faith. And so we learned what it looked like to worship by faith. Through Enoch, we learned what it looked like to walk by faith. It says that Enoch, at the age of 65, at the birth of his child, he began walking with God, and for 300 years he walked with God, and then he was no more because God took him. By Noah, we learned what it looked like to work by faith. Day in and day out, maybe people laughing at him, mocking him, what are you doing? What are you doing, Noah? What's this big boat? Why are you building this? but he stayed the course year after year after year. God didn't call us into a relationship with him just to be idle. He calls us to work in the kingdom and and to work for the kingdom. And Noah helps us to see that. We looked at Abraham, the largest example of what it looks like to live by faith. One who surrenders his life and surrenders his will to God. Brother Steve brought that up this morning. Abraham, God calls him to offer the son of promise, to take him to Mount Moriah, to give him back to God as an offering. This one that God had promised would be the son through whom all nations of the earth would be blessed. How could this happen? How could God ask me to to take the life of my son Isaac when it's through Isaac that he's going to bless the world. And we read that Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and give him his life back. Oh, we learned so much through the life of Abraham. But today we're going to look at a trio of characters, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And I want you to notice that their faith is optimistic about the future, even in spite of the pain of the present circumstances. Not just about what God has done, but about what God will do in the future. Let's read again. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. We've been uh, spending some time there. That's where we find these original stories. I don't want to spend all of our time uh, with the background, but I want us to go back to Genesis 28. I want us to look briefly at these three blessings. The first is from 
from Isaac. And we know the story. We know that um, it says that Isaac was old and he was, was weak in his, in his eyesight. He says um, he doesn't know when, when his day is going to, to come, that he dies. He says in Genesis chapter 28, verse 3, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Abraham is, is passing on the blessing to his son Jacob. Jacob uh, sort of stole this, but that was all part of God's plan. We knew that even before the children were born, that God had determined that the older would serve the younger, that Esau would, would serve Jacob. Go over to Genesis chapter 48. Genesis 48. We're going to pick up in verse, in verse 15. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they, greatly, may they increase greatly upon the earth. This is Jacob in his dying days, he has Joseph come to him and his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He says, they now are my sons. And he, he takes them and he blesses them, speaking in regards to the future of what God has done, what God is going to do in the future. Now turn over to chapter 50. We see the life of Joseph here. So little is, is known about Isaac, and a little more uh, is known about Jacob. We have a lot about the life of Joseph here in the book of Genesis. But if you go to Genesis chapter 50, look at verse 24. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. After they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. At the very heart of this, these three men, their faith is rooted in the fact that God has promised to establish and bless his people through the offspring of Abraham and also to deliver them from their enemies. So we know ultimately that Jesus is that offspring. All of these men that God was, was talking about, starting with Abraham and then blessing him, 
the world through Isaac and then Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. But ultimately, you and I, they're looking forward to something. We're looking back, and we know that Jesus is that offspring. Look at, look at the book of Galatians. I know you, I know, you know this, but I, I want to remind you. The book of Galatians chapter 3. Let's look at verse, um, let's fast forward down to verse 15. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. He says, brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Notice this. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural meaning many people, but and to your seed, singular, meaning one person who is Christ. The promise was made to Abraham, and it was made to Jesus. Jesus is that son of promise, the seed of Abraham. Christ died, he is risen, and he's coming again. That is our faith. That is our faith. That is why we are here. They look forward to that. They didn't fully understand it, not by a long shot, but we look back. We look back to what Jesus has done, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and we understand him to be the fulfillment of all of those promises, going back to Genesis, all of those promises that God made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. God was faithful to bring in his Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. We know that the resurrection of Jesus, which we celebrate, we just got through celebrating that around the Lord's table. We celebrate that every first day of the week. Hopefully we celebrate it every day of our lives. But we know that the resurrection of Jesus is the first fruit of a greater harvest that is to come. God is going to visit us again. God is going to visit us again. And rather than someone digging up our bones and and carrying them to the promised land in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise, and the rest of us, if we're still alive, will meet them together in the air. Our bodies will be changed. You understand that this physical body that we're living in is going to be resurrected someday. Doesn't matter how long you've been dead, if it's been a minute, a year, a thousand years, this body, God's going to somehow put it back together. He's going to take those molecules, even if it's powder and dust, and he's going to resurrect that body. And then that body's going to be changed. That which was sown in corruption is going to be raised incorruptible. That which was mortal is going to take on immortality. That's for the believer. That's for the believer. It never says about the unbeliever that he will be given immortality. But those of us who are in Christ will be raised and our bodies will be changed and we will live and be with the Lord forever. Now to be sure, we need to learn how to live our lives well. We've got to learn 
how to live our lives well. But we live our lives well in order that we may die well. That's what we're looking at with, with, with Isaac and with Jacob and with Joseph. They were still living by faith when they died. What, what do I mean by dying well? Well, let's think about life as a race. Uh, we, we see that analogy all through Scripture, especially with the Apostle Paul. Look at Acts chapter 20. I love this analogy of, of life being a race. Acts chapter 20. Paul is speaking about his commission from the Lord. Look at verse 24. Well, let's go to verse 22. He says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. And what is that task? The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Isn't that beautiful? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Oh, this is a very familiar passage. 1 Corinthians 9, and we'll go to, to verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And then lastly, 2 Timothy chapter 4. You know this. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I want us to think for a moment this morning, not just about life as a race, but life as a relay race. I want you to think about the four by 100 meter race, if you will, for a moment. Runners, they they sprint around the track, and they're, these guys are fast. These, these women are fast. We think about the, the, the race of life as being a, a marathon. We think about it something that's going to last for a while. You have to kind of pace yourself. But not so, not so in the 4x100. This is, this is a race of fast people. That's why I never ran that race uh, in school, because you have to have some speed about yourself. They let me throw the discus. That's the only thing they'd let me do is throw the discus, and I wasn't really that good at that. But you didn't have to be fast to throw the discus. The 4 by 100 somebody starts off, and they carry with them a, a baton, right? They're going to pass that baton. Now, the first person that starts just has the baton. So I want you to think about maybe your walk with Christ. Maybe you're the first person in, in your family 
that has faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe it was your mom and dad. Maybe it was your grandparents. But somewhere along the line, somebody had to start. Somebody had to, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's that beginner, that beginning runner. And when the starter's pistol goes off, man, they take off, and, and they're not like cruising. They're not like pacing themselves. They run with everything they've got because they're only going to run 100 meters. And there comes a time, there comes a, a, a space on that track where they enter into a spot, and then there's another person that's waiting for them. You know what I'm talking about, the relay race? There's somebody waiting for them. There's a gap when that person crosses that line that the second person starts to run. And they run, and then that person catches up with them and hands them the baton. But you can only do it within a certain space. If you hand the baton too soon, you're disqualified. If you run past that space, you're also disqualified. There's just a window of time, a window of space there in the race that you can hand that baton. And you've got to be so careful. You've got to be so careful not to drop the baton. I, I saw years ago in, in the Olympics, we had one of the fastest teams ever. Uh, our Olympic team, the American Olympic team, was one of the fastest in the history um, of the race. And they dropped the baton and they lost the race. Not because they weren't faster than everybody, but because they, had, they didn't practice well. I guess they, they, they made a mistake. They got sloppy. You've got to learn how to pass that baton and not to drop it because you could lose the race in something that simple. Now I want you to go over to the book of Titus. Rodney, I thought we were in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Well, we're going to go to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. I want, to, I want to show you something here. We're talking about Isaac and, and Jacob and Joseph, whether you know it or not. We're talking about them, them finishing well. They, 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 didn't, they didn't always live their lives well. I mean, we, we didn't take time to go back and look at all of the stories about Isaac and about Jacob. Oh, Jacob was a rascal. I mean, his name alone means supplanter. He's a deceiver. Um, he didn't, they didn't always live their lives well, but when they came to the end, they finished well. They were still living by faith. Why are we in the book of Titus? Look at chapter 2, beginning in the first verse. Paul is writing his son in the faith to Titus, my true son, in our common faith. And this is what he tells Titus. He says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. He's talking about folks in the church here. Titus, I want you to teach these older men to be temperate, not to be hotheads, not to fly off at things, but, but to be men that are worthy of respect, to be dignified, to have endurance. Why does he want Titus to teach these older men to be this way? Because these older men are going to lead the church. These older men 
need to teach the younger men how to live life. These older men need to take a younger man under their wings and say, look, I, I know you don't understand everything, but I want to share some things with you. I want to share some things with you about what it means to be a godly man. I want to share some things because I've learned the hard way what it means to be a godly husband. You got little kids. I'm, I'm going to share some things with you about being a godly father. I don't have all the answers. I'm not saying that I have all the answers, but I've been around the block a time or two. So Paul is telling Titus to teach these older men so that they can train the younger men in the church. You see, oftentimes we get so frustrated. I get so frustrated when I look at the world, when I look at things that are happening in our world, the evil that exists and, and people, you know, living life in, in, in a way that is so ungodly. But you and I cannot expect unbelievers to live as Christians should live. Can we just admit that? You and I cannot expect the world to live as a Christian lives. But what we can expect is that in the household of faith, those of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ, we can hold each other accountable to live a certain way. And as older men, listen to me, as older men, you need these qualities because there is a younger man looking at you, seeing how you're living, and he desperately needs you to pour your life into him, to, to take some of the, the seasoning that you have, to take some of the experiences that you have, and to invest them into his life. He needs that. We need that this year in 2024. We need older men teaching our younger men. Notice what he says here. Likewise, in the same way, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then, notice this, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Godly women, you older women, I know that we don't like to think of ourselves as older, right? Sometimes I, I, I gather in a room of, of peers my own age, and I think, why do they look so old? How did I, I can't believe I'm the same age as they are. So sometimes it's hard to see ourselves in that role. But older women, listen, there are younger women in this church that need you. They need you to pour your life into their lives. They need help. <laughs> Some of them just, they need help to know how to raise godly children. Sometimes it blows my mind when, when, I, when I think about the way that I was raised and I see, I see children in our world uh, that they just don't have the same uh, respect and regard for their elders that, that we have when I was a kid. When I was a kid, you were, you were taught to speak when you were spoken to, right? 
There was no interrupting mom and daddy. There was no, you know, jumping up and saying, hey, you know, and then everybody turns their attention to the little kid. No, no, no. That's not the way you, you raise a child. You be quiet until, it's, until I look at you, until it's my time to talk to you. But right now, mom and daddy are talking. Does that resonate? Does that, does anybody remember those days? I remember those days. You get in big trouble. You get in big trouble if you just ran up into a bunch of adults talking. See, we need godly women. We need older women training our, our younger women how to raise children. We need godly men pouring their lives into these young men. And we don't need to just start a, a class, a Saturday morning class, you know, on, on how to do those things. We just need to do it. We just need to look around and see who is it, who is it that I can invest my life in? Who is it that I can pour my, my life into this year? What, what young woman needs help? What young man is struggling? Or even if they're not struggling, just, just to do it, just to come alongside them and say, as, a, as an older man, I'm here to pray with you. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. As an older woman in Christ, I just want to help you. I want to love you and to help nurture your relationships. Let me share some stories with you that I've I've come across here. Um, some of you may know this name, uh, Dick Hoyt and his son, Rick. Uh, Dick Hoyt actually passed away, I think it was March of, of 2021. But um, in 1977, uh, Rick, the son, he was a quadriplegic. A spastic quadriplegic. He had cerebral palsy. He couldn't walk. He couldn't communicate, except through a computer system that his mom and dad uh, rigged up, where he could touch his head and and communicate with them. Uh, really, way way beyond their time. But through this computer system, Rick told his dad that he wanted to participate in a five-mile benefit run for a lacrosse player who had been paralyzed in an accident. A young man was playing lacrosse. He had gotten paralyzed in an accident. And Rick, who himself was a quadriplegic, cerebral palsy, he communicates through this computer system to his dad that I want us to run a five-mile run to help raise money for this young man. <laughs> Are you getting the picture? His father, Dick, pushed his son's wheelchair and completed the race. It was, it was like, a, like a regular wheelchair. People thought that, it, that he would probably get to the end of the street and turn around and come back because it was like pushing a shopping cart, you know, those kind of wheels. He wasn't an experienced runner, Dick wasn't, but they came in second to last. They came in next to last in the five-mile run. At the finish, Rick, the son, told his dad, he says, Dad, when we are running, I feel like I am not disabled. And so you fast forward. The father and son team has participated in over 1,200 athletic events. They completed, I think, 35 Boston marathons. 
35 Boston marathons, father pushing his son. They, they, they got a little bit better wheelchair. They, they, they came up with some more uh, dynamic, ergon ergonomically dynamic, aerodynamic wheelchairs. Team Hoyt, as they became known, raised over a, a million dollars for Easter Seals. And they said that their goal was to build character, confidence, and self-esteem for physically challenged young people. One man, one son, a life well lived. I came across this young mother. She was a widow. Her name is Judy Schofield. She shared this story. She said, I was a young widow with one son away at school and another small child at home. I was in nursing school and working as much as I possibly could, so time to provide a good meal seemed almost impossible. In fact, my sister fondly recalls a time when I asked my son Adam, what do you want for dinner? And his response was, I don't know. Where do you want to go? It was at this time a lady I knew from church approached me and told me how much she loved to cook and how she always cooked too much. So would I care if she shared a few of her meals with me when she had extra? I hate to see it go to waste, she proclaimed. I realized later that this was her way of not making me feel bad or obliged to pay her back because over the course of the next year, she quietly stopped by every Friday with some meals. They were all packed up and frozen so they were easy to heat and to eat. She continued to explain how I was helping her by taking some of the food off her hands. But in reality, I knew her objective was to be my food angel. I am certain she was one of the reasons I made it through that year as she nourished not only my body, but also my soul. There's a man named, I think, David Hudson. He says this. We're talking about passing our faith down. We're talking about passing the baton passing it on to a younger generation. Maybe it's your children, starting with your children, your grandchildren, but, but, but just people in the church, just the church in general, passing our faith down. He says, no matter what your faith passing down situation has been up to this point, he says, God offers you forgiveness and a fresh start. Some of us haven't always done a good job of passing on our faith. But God offers you forgiveness. He can use you to pass along a sincere faith, starting today, starting right now. Admit to him your failures and watch as he infuses you with a fresh face. Listen, he says this. For many years, there was no faith in my family. My great-grandfather was a criminal. He produced and distributed illegal alcohol during Prohibition days. I think they called it moonshine. He was eventually sent to prison for murdering a man in a knife fight. My grandfather followed in his footsteps, 
becoming a violent man who had his nose broken multiple times in bar fights. Faith and church were nowhere on our radar. He was just simply living out what he had seen modeled by his father. But then things changed. A caring neighbor invited our family to church. Listen. Eventually, my grandmother and my father went. And for the first time, they heard that things could be different if they met Jesus. They both eventually entered a relationship with Jesus, and their lives were changed. My father was called to be a minister and he lived that calling out with sincerity. God worked through him to reach my grandfather with the gospel, and my grandfather's life was changed as well. God took away the anger and the violence and replaced it with love and kindness. What was to follow has been the story of a changed legacy. Generations later, that sincere Genuine living faith is still being actively passed down. God continues writing a story of grace in our family as we continue to pass it down to our kids, to our grandkids, and our great-grandkids. What an incredible opportunity we have to pass on a sincere, a living thriving, exciting faith to the coming generations behind us. What an incredible opportunity, men, you have to pour out and invest your life, not only into the life of your children, your grandchildren, but also the men of this church. What an exciting opportunity, women, to, to give something of yourself to pour out your life, your heart, your experiences into the life of a young sister who desperately needs it. What an incredible opportunity we have, parents and families, to get a sincere faith that will impact generations, generations to come. Let's bow. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we look at the lives of, of the patriarchs. We see that even though they did not live perfect lives, sometimes far from it, when they died, they were still living by faith. Even though many of them, I guess all of them, never truly saw what was promised, but were looking ahead, by faith they could see that there was something better that you had prepared a city for them, and so that even as they died, they were passing that baton of faith on to the next generation. Father, would you help us in the year 2024, this brand new year, we're just barely a week into it. Father, would you help us as men and as women, as children of yours, to be looking for someone, someone younger, someone maybe less experienced that we could share our faith with, that we could pour our lives into so that when this year is over, we could look and see that we've helped to pass on a legacy of faith.
Father, would you help us? This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. What legacy are you leaving? What is it that you're passing on to the next generation? Think about that this week. As you go about your activities, as you look around you, as you think about this young man, this young woman that you're going to pour your life into this year, the Northside Church needs it. This community needs it. Our world needs it desperately.